really going to miss camp meeting, but uh, thank you, Joy. That was awesome. Fantastic. Our scripture for today comes from the book of Acts. We're in chapter 4. It says in the bulletin, verse 24, we're going to start in 23. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and gracious God, speak to us once more that we might speak your word with boldness. Give us faith. Give us courage. Give us a belief and hope in all things that they are being renewed. In your name, amen. John Wesley, of course, was the founder of Methodism, and he was said to have ridden on horseback 250,000 miles across England. One day he was riding through the English countryside when he was overcome by thieves who took every single cent that he had on him. That night he prayed a prayer that he recorded in his journal. This is true. This is the prayer that he wrote. Dear God, I thank you for three things. Though they took my money, they didn't take my life. Though they took all my money, it wasn't much. And most of all, thank you that it was I who was robbed and not I who was doing the robbing. Talk about your silver linings, right? Man, I don't know if I could pray such an optimistic prayer after something like that happened to me. But that was the life of a prayerful person. It's been said prayer is the indispensable and vital function of a Christian believer. No aspect of our life is more essential and crucial to our personal growth than spending time with God. See, we are never more, we are never taller than when we are on our knees. We're never stronger than when we are admitting our weakness. We're never bolder in public than after we've spent time with God in private. The apostles listing, listed preaching the word and praying as their two most essential ministries. They became people of power as a result of their study of the Bible and spending time in prayer. Now, since we've been focusing on prayer all summer, I wanted us to look at these first disciples and see just what they did in prayer and how it might impact our lives here 2,000 years later. See, prayer was one of the most distinguishing features of their lives. After Jesus ascended into heaven, he told the disciples to wait. And what did they do while they waited? They prayed. And in the midst of their very first prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit came upon them in such a stupendous way 
that not only were the disciples changed, but 3,000 people came to know the Lord that very day. The Bible goes on to say that the early disciples devoted themselves to prayer, and the church continued to expand and continued to advance. Acts 2 says, And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Now the opposition ordered them not to preach or teach about Jesus, but the Bible says the disciples couldn't stop. They couldn't stop. What gave them the boldness to speak in the face of such strong opposition? What gave them the power to heal and do signs and wonders and miracles throughout the countryside? What gave them the courage to assault such a formidable foe with such what seemed like limited resources? Could it be because they prayed? Ironically, at the outset of their ministry, these disciples, I mean, they were fearful, they were scared. But it didn't take long before they became people of faith. They started out timid. They became stalwarts of power. They started out dumbfounded. They became creative geniuses. They started out cowards. They became profiles in courage. What made the difference? I think it's prayer. What do these people know about prayer that maybe we could learn? Well, one, they realize that prayer brings us closer to God. Well, I guess that's probably, everybody probably knows that. What does that mean? Prayer brings us closer to God. Upon Peter and John's release from the chief priests and the elders, the Bible says they raised their voice to God. Now, this was no off-the-cuff prayer. This was a gathering of all the people that were there. The whole community joined together, knowing that they needed God even more than they needed each other in that moment. That they were not trying to get through to God, but rather they were opening themselves up to God to allow God to get through to them. And that's what prayer does. We need God more than God needs us. Prayer brings God to us. And I'll explain that in a minute. But the essence of prayer is to join God, not have God join us. We ask what's on God's heart rather than telling him what is on our hearts. Prayer is the lifeline that saves the drowning soul. It is the umbilical cord that gives nourishment to a starving spirit. It is the channel by which God's life-giving presence flows to us and through us. Prayer is so important. St. Augustine, the early church father and theologian, described prayer as like a man in a hapless boat who throws a rope at a rock out in the sea. The rock provides the needed stability and security for the man who's out there in the raging waters. When the rock is lassoed, it's not the man pulling the rock to him, but it's pulling him to the rock. Jesus is the rock. And every time we pray, we are throwing that rope and bringing ourselves closer to him. The scripture states, come near to God and God will come near to you. Prayer provides the communication link that puts us in connection with God. But one of the major problems of our prayer life today is that we focus so much on ourselves, on our needs and our concerns and our wishes and our wants. In real prayer, God is more important than our needs. Reflect on your prayers of the past. How much time are you spending 
asking what you can do to help God. How much time are you spending asking him how you can cooperate with his plan for the world? God must become central in our prayers. Which brings us to point number two, that prayer changes us. It changes us. A well-known preacher began his message by stating thunderously, prayer doesn't change God. And there was this hushed silence over everybody in the congregation. And he goes on to say, prayer doesn't change anything. He continues, he just bellows out really loud. Prayer doesn't change our circumstances, but prayer changes us. So true. Our prayers often reflect the statement that everybody thinks about changing humanity, but nobody thinks about starting with themselves. Right? Many of us are pretty comfortable with who we are and where we are in this world. We really don't want to change any aspect of ourselves. We'd rather the world change to meet our needs than have ourselves be changed to help the world. But real prayer, it changes us. The prayers of the early disciples certainly changed them. Again, like I said, they were once timid and afraid. They were hiding. They were secretive. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed. In fact, their adversaries commented, they're uneducated, untrained men. They weren't scared of them at all. But through their prevailing prayers, God changed them. You know the word WIMP is actually an acronym? It stands for Weak, Ineffective, Mousy People. Um, No, it doesn't. I just made that up. Um, (laughs) WIMP is actually a contraction of the word whimper. And it started coming into use um, when they introduced the character Wimpy on Popeye. Now, that part's true. That's that's all true. Um, But what we see in the Bible is that these disciples, through prayer, they go from being wimps to being warriors. They become bold. They become courageous. They become powerful. They're not scared of anything. What made the difference? By now, you probably know where I'm going. It's prayer. Even their adversaries answered. They were amazed and knew they'd spent time with Jesus in prayer. Real prayer is not only soul-satisfying, it is life-changing. When you and I spend time with Jesus in prayer, he changes us. Richard Foster wrote, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. And if we're unwilling to change, then we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic in our life. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our own needs and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ, he says. So don't pray unless you want to change. Praying people are moved to action. Praying people advance God's kingdom. Praying ignites a people to move outside of their comfort zones. Which brings us to point three. That prayer unleashes the power of God. Two characteristics dominated the disciples' prayer meetings. God's presence and God's power. The book of Acts is often called the Acts of the Apostles, but I think it might be better called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because everywhere the apostles go, they are praying and the Spirit unleashes power on whatever event and whatever is happening in the apostles' lives. For those disciples in Jerusalem, they experienced the power of God in very tangible and real ways. 
Acts 4 says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. I love that. It was shaken. What was it shaken from? Thunder from the clouds? Tremor in the earth? Maybe it was the devil shaking in his boots, right? Whatever caused it, the shaking gave those early disciples a sense of God's presence and power. In reference to the shaking of the ground, one of the early church fathers said, it made the disciples more unshaken. God's power was unleashed on two different fronts. First, that power was felt on a human front. Sidlow Baxter wrote, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. The chief priests and elders knew that these early disciples were unschooled, ordinary people, but they recognized them as having spent time with Jesus. Through their prayers, God brought healing and miracles into their lives. Second, the power is also felt on the spiritual front, and I love this next quote for Camp Meeting Month. Samuel Chadwick said, The one concern of the devil is to keep saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, nothing from prayerless work, nothing from prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. I love that. A spiritual awakening took place as a result of Peter and John's praying. The practice of prayer in a person's life, it's incredible, and it's virtually... It, it's, it's virtually untapped because it's never going to run out. It's a power that will never run out. Prayer turns ordinary mortals like you and me into people of power. It's the key that unlocks the storehouse of God's riches. It is the call that moves heaven across the earth. Evelyn Christensen is an author about prayer. And she was once called to speak to a seminar of about 2,000 people at this big church in Texas. And during the seminar, about a quarter of the people, um, they were moved to tears when she, was, she asked everybody to pray. They started to pray, and many were crying, and they repented, and they, they came to know the Lord. And the, the pastor of this church was walking Evelyn out to her car after the thing was over, and he says, to what do you Oh, all of that power. And Evelyn was taken back and she said, well, prayer, of course. But what kind of prayer? He quizzed her. Well, first of all, there was the prayer of the committee who invited me here, she said. They signed a contract promising to get a representative from local churches in the community to come together and pray for at least six months before I got here. She said, I wouldn't come unless they promised to sign that contract. And then last night, we kicked off the seminar with an evening of prayer, once again pleading for those who didn't know Jesus. She said, my own board members, they pray every day. She said, I got a prayer calendar that includes a special intercessor for the day. My telephone prayer chain prays three times a week. Thousands of my newsletter subscribers pray for what I'm doing. She said, I've got a group that prays around the clock for special events and mission trips. Plus, there's the prayers of my friends and family and myself. That probably covers several hours a day. The pastor looked up at Evelyn and said, well, 
what do you think would happen if I, pastor of this church, if I engaged in that kind of prayer? Sir, she replied, you wouldn't be able to get all the new believers into your overcrowded sanctuary. What do you think God's calling you to do? What's God calling us to do in prayer? Offer bold prayers. Bold prayers that reflect a strong faith and a secure hope. Let's not just talk about prayer. Let's not just go to seminars about prayer. Let's not just read about prayer. Let's not just hear sermons about prayer. Let's just pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.